Well, today, Easter, obviously marks a special day that we set aside to celebrate that Jesus' death was not defeat. You know that? When he died, it wasn't because he's a victim. I love what Pedro reminded us of. He wasn't a victim. He was claiming victory over sin and death and hell. It was actually through his death that Jesus won the victory. His life was not taken from him. He gave it. In John chapter 10, Jesus predicted his own death and his resurrection with incredibly powerful words. Jesus said this. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. So Jesus, his life was not stolen from him. He gave it. He died, right, for our sins, but rose from the dead. He has authority even over death itself. Jesus was never not in control of his own destiny. He chose when and how he died, and he determined every detail of his resurrection. Do you believe that? All right, well, good deal. Well, we are in a series of messages right now called True and Better. And the idea is that we're trying to discover that God had the cross in mind long before it ever happened. He's been working the events of history, like moving people's lives around. To spell out, to paint a picture of the redemption of sinners like me and you. I love Willie. Thank you, brother. The whole Bible, church, the whole Bible is telling us who God is and how he intends to save us. I think when we know that truth, it helps how we read the scriptures. Many times we look at the scriptures, we're just looking for a devotional thought. We're trying to find a a verse to tweet or whatever it may be. But I want you to know that the whole Bible is really telling you who God is and how he intends to save us. So today we find ourselves in one of the clearest depictions of Christ in all the Old Testament. Would you uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And once you find your place there, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in honor of God's word. And then you can be seated for a few minutes while we uh, while we dig into the scriptures together. So Genesis 22, I want to read the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. 
And he cut the wood for a burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they had come to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God and seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We want to lift you up today as the risen and eternal king. And we thank you, Lord, for your ultimate sacrifice. You died willingly to save sinners like me, like us. Father, you are still working to bring people from spiritual death to life. And we thank you for letting us be a part of that work and share in the joy of it through baptism this morning. Holy Spirit, now we ask that you open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your word. In Jesus name and for his glory. Amen. What in the world is happening here? I think we read a story like this and it's in the Bible and it's just another story and we read right past it. God is commanding a man to sacrifice his son. We ought to be thrown by this. This ought to really mess with us. 
This whole story is based on what, what many view as a massive conflict between God and his own system of morality. God forbids murder, especially the killing of a child, right? God specifically forbids child sacrifice. So what in the world is happening in this scripture? What in the world? And you may would say, well, it's a story of God testing Abraham's faith. And that is true. The Bible affirms that is true. But even if that is true, let's be honest as we approach this text this morning. Doesn't it seem incredibly cruel? Think about it from Isaac's perspective for a moment. A young boy walking with his father to worship. Hey, Dad, this is going to be great. Just me and you, some time together. They get to the top of the mountain. We've got the knife, the fire, the wood, but Dad, where's the, where's the lamb? What an awful test. Can you imagine after this kind of encounter, the Lord saying to Isaac, oh, I know, Isaac, you watched your dad raise a knife over you and you were bound up and put on a stack of wood and he had a fire laying nearby, but it was just a test. No, this is much bigger than just a test. This is the problem when we read the scriptures as merely an example for us to follow. This text is so often presented to us to encourage us to be people of better faith, stronger faith. There's nothing intrinsically and totally wrong with that approach. Abraham does exercise incredible faith here. But let's be very clear. God is not calling any of us to kill our children. Nor would he. And if he did, how many parents in the room are guaranteed to be utter failures? When you read yourself into the storyline of Scripture, you encounter all kinds of problems like the one we just mentioned. When we realize the Scripture is not so much about us, but about Christ, then this becomes less of a picture of how we are failures in our faith and more of a portrait of how Christ is the most beautiful object of our faith. This story is not about you and your need for deeper and stronger faith. It's about the one who gave his life for you. It's about Christ. When we learn to read the scriptures like this, then we've hit the bullseye. Genesis 22 does tell us about Abraham's remarkable faith. Even the New Testament looks back on the story and remarks that he is a man of great faith. But the real message, the real message is about sacrifice, substitution, and provision. So I want us to look at those three things today. Sacrifice. The theme of sacrifice in the Bible has been developing up to this point. We've been working our way through the narrative. But it comes here front and center in a really brutal and ugly way. But let's walk through it really quickly. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, 
Their guilt and shame was exposed through their nakedness. They felt the shame. They realized they were naked and immediately they hid and they tried to cover themselves. Their coverings were insufficient. So God, listen, clothed them with the skins of animals. And the idea of sacrifice is implied into the scriptures as a covering and atonement for sin. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, they, we're told the story about how they come to bring an offering. One of them is a shepherd and the other one uh, is a farmer. And they both bring an offering of kind to the Lord, a sacrifice, if you will, to the Lord. And the idea here is about tribute and honor and reverence for a king, a submission to a great king. As we know, these brothers didn't fare so well. In their relationship to each other, Cain killed Abel. And it was all over the idea of a sacrifice being approved by God or not approved. But in that story, we learn that in sacrifice, we are offering back to God what is already his. It's taking what the Lord has blessed us with and giving it back as an expression to say, God, thank you. This is yours. Thank you for this bounty of blessing. And we're giving back to God what is already his. After the great flood in Genesis chapter eight, Noah gets off the ark. He worships God with a variety of sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. That's where we're introduced to that idea in Genesis chapter eight. Now think about it for a minute. This is a big deal because the only animals on the planet just got off the boat with Noah. He's been feeding them and nurturing them, keeping them alive, and shoveling all kinds of things out of their stalls, right? And then he takes these animals and he takes a few of them, select few, and offers to the Lord a burnt offering. This is what sacrifice is all about. It's experiencing and feeling the pain of loss to give glory and worship to another. This offering, when you read Genesis 8, you realize it actually affected God. Imagine that. Genesis 8, 21, it says this. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man. He said, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And then shortly after that, he gives the great covenant promise of the rainbow to never flood the earth again. But make no mistake, God's promise, his covenant promise comes on the heels of Noah's sacrifice of worship. And we see that sacrifice and worship of God can actually impact the Lord's attitude and actions toward us. Well, the next time sacrifice takes center stage, there's been a few little little moments through the scriptures, but the next time it takes center stage is in our text here in Genesis 22. Abraham, the man of God that God called out of idolatry, away from his family, sent him on a mission to a place he didn't know. The man, God promised a son in his old age. He promised him a family greater than the stars of the sky. 
The man through whom the nation of Israel will come. This man, Abraham, his wife, Sarah, they waited on the promised son for decades. Sometimes patiently, sometimes not so much. And then finally, 25 years after the promise was made, God gives them a son, Isaac. And it is through Isaac that God makes the promise even more specific. He says, it's through this boy that you will be the father of many nations. And he changes Abram's name from father to Abraham, which means father of many. So essentially, Abram is, uh, is daddy and Abraham is big daddy, right? So God changed Abraham's name, but it was when he gave him Isaac, God said, it's through this boy that you're going to be the father of many. But now in Genesis 22, 2, the Lord says this, Abraham, take your son, your only son. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Is Isaac Abraham's only son? Who else did Abraham have? Ishmael, remember the whole disobedient, you know, lack of faith moment where Sarah's like, Abraham, it's just not going to happen. You're going to have to do this with someone else. Take Hagar, my servant. You guys make a baby together. Maybe that's how the Lord will fulfill his promise. And Ishmael was born. So we reach Genesis 22 and the Lord says this. Take now your son, your only son. Why, why these words? Only son. We know he has two sons. What, what, what could this be? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. And here's the command. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. So this time we're confronted with the brutality of sacrifice. It's hitting really close to home. The idea is still that of offering to the Lord what is already his, right? Surely Abraham and Isaac knew after 25 years of praying for a baby that when God gave them the baby, that this baby was from him if This is your son, Lord. You've blessed us with this boy. You have huge future plans for him. He's yours. So we learn again that sacrifice is genuinely offering to the Lord what already belongs to him. The Lord miraculously gave this child to an elderly couple. And he certainly has the prerogative to take him back. As we read through the story, we see that just in the nick of time, God stops Abraham. And he provides a ram in the thicket. Now, if this were merely a test of faith, if this story is merely to teach us about greater and better faith, this would be the end of the story. It would have ended right there. Well, the Lord doesn't want me to do it. And the Lord says, thank you, Abraham. You've proved yourself faithful. We have a a, a trophy for you in this room over here. That's not the point of the story, is it? The point of the story is a sacrifice 
that the Lord will provide. It's not over there. The ram is still slaughtered. They still worship through sacrifice. Isaac is spared. The ram is not. And the story of sacrifice continues to unfold as we see at least these these things. Sacrifice is the plan. How can sinful man be in relationship with Almighty God? How? Ever since the fall into sin, the Bible has been answering this question. Gradually, over time, God is spelling it out for us. We're slow learners and He's spelling it out for us. God's just wrath Against our sin is poured out on a sacrifice. God is pleased. His wrath is satisfied in the death of an animal. In your place. At least temporarily. So the first thing we see is that sacrifice is the plan. Secondly, God will accept a substitute. We're going to spend a little more time with these in a moment. I'm just going ahead and giving it to you. God will accept a substitute for a life that is rightfully His to claim. Did you get that? Isaac is rightfully His to claim, but God accepts a substitute and spares Isaac. That's beautiful. And thirdly, God will even provide that substitute. God will provide that substitute. So let's dig into those three things really quickly. First, sacrifice is the plan. Think about it. Who is Isaac? Who is he? Well, he's Abraham's offspring. He's the promised son. He's the son they've waited for and believed for and doubted for. Didn't wait for and disobeyed for. Then waited more, right? And finally, God miraculously opens Sarah's womb. He blesses them with a child. He gave them Isaac. It's through Isaac God promises Abraham that he's going to have so many children It'll be more than the stars of the sky, more than the sand on the seashore. Not just many children, many nations. The future of this kid's lineage is massive. I want you to think about it. Without Isaac, there's no Israel. Without Israel, there's no Christ. And without Christ, there's no salvation. So this little guy is pretty important. Can you imagine holding that baby? People be like, don't you drop him. (laughs) This is the backdrop against which God calls for sacrifice. The significance of this son. And God says, Sacrifice him. Again, our minds rush. They tend to rush immediately toward 
Abraham's radical faith. And I kind of want to push against it this morning. I hear a lot of people read this story and say, well, look at Abraham. God gave him the command and he rose early the next day. He was ready to roll with it, man. He was just ready to go. And I'm just telling you, I've been reading, reading, reading this from a human, a man, a father's perspective. And I'm just not sure I buy that. Here's what I'm thinking probably happened. And this is my, just imposing my thoughts. I bet you Abraham couldn't sleep a wink. I bet you he laid in bed all night like, God, why? Why my son? What will... Surely there's someone else. Why? Isaac, you promised Isaac. I bet he didn't sleep a week. Like a soldier who knows he's going to the battlefield the next morning. He's finally just says, I'm getting up. Let's get this over with. And Abraham, a man of incredible wealth. Surely he could have gotten someone else to chop wood for him. But you know, men, when you have something stressful on you, you just want to go and knock some wood around, Right? I'm not sure that we read this correctly when we prop up Abraham as this huge hero. I think he was just desperately trying to obey God, but didn't know what else to do. It's against this backdrop that we realize that the hope of the world is not in the life of the promised son, but in the death of the promised son. Abraham is yet to realize that his son, Isaac, is foreshadowing, is painting a portrait of a greater son to come. Abraham was fully convinced he was going to have to kill his son. In fact, Hebrews eleven nineteen explains what was going on in his mind. Can you imagine a three day journey? Men, fathers, a three-day journey with a boy you know you're killing at the end of the road. Abraham sends his servants to the side. He says, me and the boy, we're going to go worship. And they they start the journey. And then the question comes. The question Abraham hasn't known how to answer yet. He's been wrestling with it in his own mind. And finally the boy says, Dad, hey, I see we got everything we need here. You know, the wood. I'm carrying the wood. You got the fire, the knife. Everything's good. But... But where, where is the lamb? This father sweating bullets, tears streaming down his face, can just only muster the one thing he's been trying to believe. God will provide. Abraham believes. That he's going to have to go through with it and shed the blood of his own son. But radically, he does believe that even after he's killed his son, God is so faithful to his promise to bring about what he's promised that he's going to bring this boy back to life. That's what Abraham believes in Hebrews 11. It tells us that that he believed God would bring him back to life. How amazing is this? Resurrections never happened before, but Abraham's come up with it in his mind because he's like, look, if God says kill him, I'm going to have to kill him. But God has also said that it's through this boy he's going to do all these things. So the only way I can figure is I kill him and God brings him back to life. 
And in that faith, we actually see a future representation of the better promised son. And what he actually did for us. God is painting a portrait in this story. He's not just telling you have stronger faith. He's saying, look at my son. It's a portrait for how he intends to fulfill his promise to bless the nations. How he intends to make Abraham a father to many nations. It would come through sacrifice of the truly promised son. No, not Isaac. One better than Isaac. The true fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham would come in the seed of Abraham, the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is the plan. The sacrifice of Jesus is how the nations will be blessed. The gospel of salvation is extended through Christ in true form. Beyond the bloodline of Abraham to all the peoples of the world. Galatians 3, 7 says neither Jew nor Greek. And it says these words for it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. How many of you believe this morning? How many of you believe in Christ this morning? You are a son or daughter of Abraham. You're brought into the family, the promised family of God through Christ. It's through Jesus that God's promise is fulfilled. And the story of Abraham and Isaac is a portrait. God is painting for us a future redemption. Two, God will accept a substitute. One of the moments in this story that grips me the most. I mean, it just this week I've read this chapter probably 20 times and probably 18 of those just had a, you know, men, you know, that knot that comes up in your throat. Did you just, you, you can't get it down. You're trying to hold back the tears and here comes. The moment when Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb? Isaac must have had some prior knowledge about what worship through sacrifice looks like. He must have known. They must have done something like this together before. He kind of knew what was going on. He was. Old enough now to at least look around and realize something's missing here. Like, this is not quite right. This moment grips me because, like I said earlier, I don't think Abraham had a clue either. And as a father, that's a troubling thing to be asked something important from your child and not know what to say. He's just been asked the question he'd been wrestling with for three days. And he can't ignore it. So he stumbles into an answer. God will provide. Now in the Hebrew, I was looking at this. The next word is actually not there in the Hebrew. In your translation, it says God will provide for himself. But the next word for is actually not in the Hebrew. Did you know that? The Bible actually says God will provide himself. The lamb for a burnt offering, my son. I imagine Isaac just shrugs his shoulders like, okay, dad. He trusts his dad. He, he, I mean, dad knows what he's doing. All dads know everything, right? He knows what he's doing. Meanwhile, Abraham gets to the place and gets busy. The moment he's anticipated and feared is coming. He stacks the wood. Maybe Isaac helps him. 
He readies everything. And then the moment comes where Abraham begins to bind his son. Just to wrap him up. And we're not allowed into the conversation that happened right there. And thank God we're not. I don't think I can handle it. A week or so ago, we had our twin babies at the hospital. We had to do um, IVs in their little hands. And I was a mess watching them stab my babies with these needles. I was an absolute wreck because I love these boys, right? I don't want them to hurt me, but I believe this is the right thing. And so I'm holding down a baby while someone stabs them. In some small way, I think I'm relating. I'm trying to identify with what Abraham must have felt as he's wrapping up his son. He does not want to do this. And yet it must be done. And Isaac. What's going on, Dad? We don't hear him answer. And there's a reason for that. Do you know why? Because as Jesus was led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. We're not given the words of Isaac. Maybe he didn't answer at all. And the reason is not because Isaac wasn't troubled. It's because this story is about Christ. It's the silent, suffering Savior that we're looking at here. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham's moving now. He's, he's ready to be done, ready to get over, get this over with. Doesn't want to prolong the pain any longer. So he lifts the knife over his beloved son. And in the moment, the angel of the Lord stops him. Abraham, stop. Don't hurt the boy. Abraham lifts his tear-filled eyes and he sees a ram caught in the and I love the words in Genesis twenty two thirteen. It teaches us that God accepts the substitute offering. Notice the words instead of his son, instead of his son. This is the greatest news ever. Even though God's righteous anger burns against our sin, he will accept a substitute for you. You don't have to die in your sins. The greatest news I could ever tell you is you do not have to die for your sins. God will spare your life and allow the punishment you deserve to be placed on another. And the only way to save sinners like us is if someone dies in our place. Remember, Isaac asked his father, Dad, where is the lamb? But the fulfillment in this story is not a lamb. It's a ram caught in the thicket. A ram, not a lamb. Abraham, like Abraham had mentioned. The reason for that? Because the lamb was yet to come. Abraham's promise what didn't go unfulfilled. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb that Abraham promised was coming. 
Jesus is our substitute. This brings us to the third point. God will provide the sacrificial substitute. God will provide the sacrificial substitute. When Isaac asked about the lamb, Abraham assured him, God will provide for himself a lamb. Now, as we just said, if you're a stickler, you might would read the text. You'd say, well, he didn't. He provided a ram. But notice When Abraham names this place, this mountain, he names it. After the offering is made, he names the mountain something. He names it this. The Lord, what? Will provide. Now this is after the sacrifice, the the ram has already been provided, the offering has been made. And then Abraham names the place, the Lord will provide. Do you know that's... A name for God. We're introduced now with a new name for God. Do you know what it is? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord our provider. The Lord will provide. The future tense. It's not not an accident. Abraham could have said the Lord did provide. Or the Lord has provided. Or look what the Lord has provided. He could have said any of those things. Past tense. But he didn't. The Lord will Provide. And then Moses, the writer of the scripture here, gives us this parenthetical narration right after that. In Genesis twenty-two fourteen. 14, listen to what it says. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it what? Shall be provided. Listen, I don't know if you know this. The future tense here is not an accident. Abraham knew that this moment was the anticipation of a greater provision. And all the people knew it too. The people would, for centuries after this, they would walk by this mountain and they would point to it and they would say, they wouldn't say, look, that's where the Lord provided a ram. They would say, no, no, that place right there, that's the place that the Lord will provide the lamb. The Lord will provide. The lamb. This is a future anticipation of a greater sacrifice. They could see the day of Christ coming. They even knew where it would happen. Jesus said in John 8, verse 56, Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Then these words, he saw it. And was glad. Boy, that really messed some Pharisees up. Because they were like, how old are you, man? Like, you can't be older than 50. Abraham is like 2,000 years ago. You're saying he saw you? And Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the true and better Isaac. Remarkably, here's the twist to the story. Where Abraham's son carried the wood up Mount Moriah on that same, very same mountain. Jesus carried his cross to be crucified. Mount Moriah is the mountain that Jesus gave his life on. Jesus is the true and better Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham that was promised His only son whom he loves. But Jesus is the ultimate promised son of the father. The miraculously born only begotten son of God. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. 
Isaac is presented as a sacrifice, but he's spared. Jesus actually dies as a sacrifice to God for our sins. Abraham believed that God would raise his son back to life and keep his promise. Jesus actually gave his life, was buried, and three days later, three days later, he rose from the dead, right? So why does all this matter? Seriously, on Easter Sunday, why does it matter? Does Jesus' death and resurrection make a difference in your daily life at all? Or is today just a show? Your sin is serious to God. How much more serious does it need to be to kill his own son? His plan is sacrifice. It is death. But Jesus is our substitute. He gave his life in your place. You do not have to die in your sin. The Lord has provided salvation for you and me in Jesus. And he rose from the dead. And that validates everything he ever did, everything he ever said. It means that the promises he made, even the promise he made to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. That promise is held true because he rose from the dead and has authority over everything. Jesus can make a promise and you can bank on it because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Do you believe this? I mean, really. We take off the tie and the coat. We get home this afternoon. Do you really believe this? If you do, he will radically change your life. If you do not, surrender your life today to the King of Kings. He surrendered his life for you. Let's pray.